0: Let's pick up our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of First John. First John chapter one. First John one, where we'll take for our reading and for our text this morning, verses eight through ten, as well as hearing then the truth found in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 51. And so we hear again in the blessings of God's providence, not only seeing and understanding of what is required unto our forgiveness, hearing it, our confession, hearing it in this word, a great opportunity for us to give witness of our forgiving God. So let's hear these words, 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. We pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is the best thing that he has prepared for you today. He has given us his infallible, inerrant Let's also, again, take up that summary of that word in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's found in the back pages of the maroon Trinity Psalter hymnal on page 895. As we hear on the bottom right corner of that page what the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer means. And so question 126 asks, what does the fifth petition mean? And our answer is this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means because of Christ's blood Do not impute to us, poor sinners that we are, any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us, just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us, wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. Thus far, our confession. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the forgiveness that is ours in your Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, Father, we know how easy it is for us to to simply pass over or pass by that word, to simply utter it and not stop and pause and be mindful of the wonder of that which has been given. And Father, how much, how much slower we are then too in understanding what that word is to extend it to others. And so we pray, Father, that as we pray this prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. May it be true, may it be honest. May it be that thing that we give ourselves to, as difficult as it is, because it's what you have given to us. And so, Lord, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the books that I've recently finished reading and and was very, very good for me to read. It's just a one-word title, and that book is called Forgive. It's a book written by Pastor Tim Keller, who, in God's providence, passed away this past Friday after a battle with pancreatic cancer. And his teaching profoundly shaped me in a number of different ways, And so when he brings out a book, and certainly we are still discerning and we don't agree necessarily with every formulation of every author we've ever read, but in picking up that book, it brought me again before the the multifaceted splendor of what God has given us in forgiveness, as well as that extension, that and, even as we see in our catechism today, of the great call to forgive others. And so in reading several of the articles written soon after Dr. Keller's passing, I saw recorded this quote, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That we are great sinners in need of a great Savior. And that's certainly what's brought before us again this morning, that that Savior has fully satisfied the justice of God, has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, has atoned for our sins, has removed our guilt, that we may assert confidently we stand forgiven at the cross. That is our message. That is our hope. It's the greatest benefit of salvation. It was Dr. Keller's confession, the reason he's been gathered to the Father with all the saints in the fullness of joy. It's the confession that we are called to make in Jesus Christ, a confession we must speak and live, a call made more awesome in considering the baptism that we've just witnessed of what these promises really mean of what we're saying, of of what the end of them may very well be. Because we don't confess today that Nolan has been saved by way of this baptism. Certainly not. No, we confess what? He shares in our condemnation. He's a sinner just like his parents, just like me, just like all of us. He shares in our condemnation but also in the promise of a forgiveness in Jesus Christ as a covenant child. A promise that he in time must profess by way of God's mercy that he might receive all of that promise in full. And yet, what have we promised to teach him? We've promised to teach him that. We've promised to teach him grace. And how are we the recipients of grace? By way of forgiveness. That is what we teach. That is what we share. We promise to teach the truth of the gospel. Of grace and mercy and love granted and forgiveness. That we along with him are more sinful than we could ever know. But more loved and accepted than we'll ever know in Christ. Our children need to see that and hear that. Are they? Are they hearing that forgiveness in that kind of way? Are we quick to confess our own brokenness, the ways that we stumble? Are we ready, quick to forgive and to forget in the right ways, knowing that we are not the Messiah, but we are called to walk and follow after him? And the world needs to see and hear it too. That if we're going to talk about forgiveness, we have to be about that forgiveness As we call sinners to repentance and faith and a God who saves, who has forgiven us our great sin and has cleansed us from every one of our unrighteousnesses. And so Christians are to give witness to the truth and wonder of God's forgiveness in what we teach and live. It's a very basic theme this morning and yet a profound one, one that we must give ourselves to with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so to understand that witness better, we look at three statements drawn from these verses in 1 John 1. And so if you're following along, each point will be each verse, 8, 9, and 10. And so in our deception, we need forgiveness. We see that in verse 8. In our confession, we receive forgiveness in verse 9. And in our admission, we extend forgiveness in verse 10 but in our deception we need forgiveness. Baptism teaches that we're conceived and born in sin. It's one of the first words in the form that we just read. And so the word of God makes plain our sin and our unrighteousness. Paul makes it plain in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on in Titus 3.3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, let us stray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's our state. That's what God's word makes plain. And yet, many continue in stubborn disbelief, unbelief, rank unbelief. For how many people in the world claim man is basically good? Maybe he's learned some bad things by way of imitation, but but he's good. Look at all the good things they do. And so terms in the civic square, the public square today, like sin or depravity or unrighteousness, seem to them puritanical at best, and at worst, even now, hate speech. But we know from the word that man's heart is what? It is deceptively wicked. That from the start, the evil one Satan has been deceiving, and yet in the hardening of man and his sin, men take on the task for themselves. Which is what John writes here in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's a statement of rank, unbelief only, ending in judgment before a holy God. They deceive themselves into thinking what? Those people are way worse than me. Those people in the jail down the road, way worse than me. How could God judge me when those people have done so many more terrible things? They focus not so much on themselves, but in comparing themselves with others, not pausing to consider that God is perfectly holy, and they are perfectly not holy. They are deceived. Sinners are deceived. And as this word comes before you this morning, you're either one who remains content to be deceived. Or you've been brought in God's mercy to know that that you need to be forgiven of all your sins. It's only one of two. And so in deception, I need you to hear this morning that you need to be forgiven. That your life is in great peril. Not just in this life, but certainly in the one to come. You need to be saved. You need to hear the truth this morning that we are sinners from the moment of our conception brought forth in the sinful nature of our first parents, Adam and Eve, living in that nature in every one of our actual sins. And if we remain in that state, we make clear testimony that the truth is not in us, or as Paul says, we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. So do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Into your deception, he is being merciful to speak of his word and of his truth again. You need forgiveness. You need to be made right with God. And for those of you who know this, who have sought the forgiveness of a holy God through Jesus Christ, his son, you need forgiveness too. You need it every day in the sins you commit. That even though they have been completely forgiven and covered at the cross, seeking forgiveness for you now becomes what? A part of continuing to enter back into relationship with the Lord in a desire to be restored to him rightly. Father, I have sinned against you. I have broken fellowship and relationship. Restore me again to yourself. Though I am undeserving, I thank you that your son is. Restore me in relationship to you. And that's because both for the unbeliever and for the believer, sin is still displeasing and an affront to our holy God. So you need forgiveness. You need to know it. More, you need to know that Christ, to know that you're broken, to know that if you remain in sin, you are still under curse. And your children need to know this too. Oh, they're just being kids. Oh, you know what? They'll listen to us someday. Oh, well, you're, you're really being, I mean, to say sinful, you're going to talk condemnation to our, I mean, they just need to be built up a little bit. They need a little bit of esteem. And certainly, if some of us have grown up in circumstances of which all we heard that we were sinners and there was never any grace, there's a good place of Christ in that middle to be able to speak truth. What you did was sin. What you did was an affront to God. And dad, mom, we sin too sometimes. But there's grace to be found at the cross and let me lead you there. And so there's consequences for your sin. And yet we are thankful that eternally there are no consequences for us because we're found in Christ Jesus. And so let's help each other to seek to be more and more obedient to him. Now as a father who is not always that tone and that graciousness. We struggle with that as parents, right? But yet this is how the Father speaks to us. That's what he extends to us. And so the truth breaks us. It brings us to the end of ourselves. But that's not where we're left. There is an additional truth that a holy God has provided a remedy for you to be delivered, saved from Satan's lies and your own deception. That instead of suppressing the truth, you are called to come to the way, the truth, and the life that you might be saved and live. So heed the words of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We are wicked and unrighteous in our being and in our actions. Our God is holy and good in all things, including granting salvation. And in such a confession, we receive forgiveness. And that in the second place, because that's where sin has to lead us. That's where seeking the Lord should bring you. It leads to confessing who you are and what you've done before the Lord who has revealed to you His work and His promise that He will provide an abundant pardon. But He calls you to confess your sins. That word if here is important. Oh, well, God's just, He's love anyway and I don't really need to do anything because I'm a pretty good person. He's just... No, we already got rid of that goodness understanding in the first point. I need to be saved. And so he calls you to confess. Hear this, there's no forgiveness from the Almighty God apart from confession. Because it's not enough to know the truth that there's a way of forgiveness, to know the promises of the covenant placed upon your head, To know the way of salvation and restoration, you must confess your need of it. You, not mom and dad, not grandpa and grandma, you. You must confess your need for it and more place all of your faith and believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, confess every one of your sins. And you're like, that's going to take a while. But what do we simply do? We're quick to run to simply stating, forgive us our debts. Christian, which one? Which ones? Do you know? Or have you become callous to even what they are? That this becomes a coverall rather than dealing with your heart? How have you fallen short? What have you done? He already knows and yet he wants you to confess them before him. For that confession is even a part of our catechism answer. Because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, poor sinners that we are, any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. That your confession to Him is a part of what? Renouncing that sinful way of life. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We sing it. In what ways? Lord, help me to stay away from those ways. Keep me from these things. Remove that idol from my life. Confess your need for his help in putting to death your old nature for his help to show you in every way that you belong body and soul to him. Confess to him your assurance in Christ alone that if you through weakness should fall into sin, you will not despair of God's mercy. Nor use weakness as an excuse to keep sinning. That children and young people, to confess your sins to the Lord is to acknowledge your sin. To loathe it, which is a big word, to hate it. To hate every bit of it. And to turn away from your sin. That's what he calls you to. But more it is to be found and to pray, Father, may I be found Most fully in the work of Jesus Christ for me. He is all my righteousness. He is all my plea. For in that way, confession then leads us to blessing. It's the only way to blessing because it leads us to Jesus Christ alone. It's the blessing of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But now hear the transition there, which is perhaps the most beautiful line in the psalm. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That that is the restlessness and the hurt and the weariness of our sin. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, But confession then is what? It is release. It is the embrace of all of those blessings. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. It is true unburdening. I don't have to carry those things anymore. And I don't have to be identified by them anymore. And I don't need to find my identity in them anymore. Because I've left them with Christ. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It is the sweetest release. It is the most beautiful freedom. He will forgive your sins as you confess them to him. He has already paid the price of all of those sins by his precious blood. Yet your continued confession draws you near to him in your need. That you would seek him as your only comfort. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and shows himself to be. And he promises to forgive. In fact, he delights in it. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But if we're going to say that he's faithful, it also means that he's faithful to being just. He's both faithful to to provide a a costly forgiveness, bearing the burden of all your sins, but also just in demanding that one pay the price and suffer the consequence for the sins of all his chosen. Because that's the thing about a holy God. He can't just pass by sin. Can't he just forget about it? Like, that's sometimes the cheap grace we want from each other, right? Like, yeah, I know I did the wrong thing, but he'll just look over it. That's not how it works. That's not how it works for us in our relationships. It's not how God relates with us either. God cannot just pass by sin. Debts must be paid, covered by another. So the power of the gospel is what? Jesus Christ did that which you can never do. Jesus paid the price of all of your sin, suffering that which you could never pay. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But what? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, that should humble us in the most profound way because we stand forgiven by his faithfulness to his word and by his justice done in the cross. That Jesus himself humbled himself in every way to forgive us our sins, to remove our guilt, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to appease the Father's justice as the once for all atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only our sins, but for the sins of all his chosen people. That is your most profound blessing. So then I ask you, when was the last time you celebrated that with your family? When was the last time you rejoiced in that with your children? I mean, we are ready to have a party for everything. Quick to celebrate everything. What about that? Look at the way God has restored us. Look at the ways that he's called the people to himself. Rejoicing in salvations with all the angels who rejoice over the salvation of even one. That's our call. Are we bringing our children back to the picture, to the sign and seal? Your baptism signifies what, son? What, daughter? It seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. How marvelous is that? In relationship with us, he completely forgives and he restores us wholly. That making plain that his justice and righteousness depend on his great faithfulness, mercy, and love. And that kind of forgiveness is yours only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But yeah, maybe you hear that this morning and you're like, that sounds way too good to be true. Because you know the brokenness of your own heart. And you know the things that you've done. You know the things that you're still doing, even sitting here this morning. And in that way, maybe I don't know you, or maybe somebody does. But you think that promise, even that we've heard this morning, is unbelievable. That maybe God in his goodness to you has already shown you already the wonder of his holiness. And all you can see in your life is the horror and the brokenness. You see the depths of your separation from God and rebellion from him. And you ask how? How could a good father do what he promises in baptism? How could he do that for us in his son? How could he pour out all of that for someone like me? How could such a good, holy father Forgive all the sins that people know about and all of them that they don't. I want you to hear this clearly this morning. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever let Satan lie to you and say, You're not good enough. You didn't do enough work the Father could never love someone like you after what you've done. There is no sin which you will confess to the Lord that He doesn't know already and that He's not willing to forgive. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. And that's the comfort and assurance you need. That's the comfort and assurance I need that all of God's people need. As Calvin writes, be fully persuaded that when we have sinned, there is a reconciliation with God ready and prepared for us. Isaiah 43, he blots out your transgressions for his own sake and will not remember your sins. It is the promise of his word. Titus 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the things that you have done, Not because of works of righteousness we have done, but according to His own mercy He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. For as you come in that confession, and it is the greatest unburdening, what you are brought before again is his faithfulness and his justice, but also his love, that you are forgiven and saved simply because he loves you. It's the wonder of, of hearing Ephesians 5, and we run to that saying, husband, love me already, right? Husbands, love your wives. But what does it say? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water, by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. And so you're called today by way of your confession, receive the promise that was placed on Nolan's head this morning. It's what we pray for him. That he would come to that place of confession and of faith. And when you do it, he will forgive. Embrace the promise that Christ is your righteousness. Embrace him by faith and in the newness of life he grants you. Live in the freedom of love and righteousness that he blesses. According to the truth of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as you admit your need for a Savior... You need to be preserved in that forgiveness as you persevere in your confession. And in so doing, you will come to understand and know your great need to extend forgiveness. And that briefly in the last place. Because in God's faithfulness and justice, the Holy Spirit will impart to us what we have in Christ. Namely, the washing away of all of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives. That is the fullness of forgiveness. That forgiveness isn't just a sorry, sorry, sorry of which he will forgive, but I don't want to do that anymore. Renew me in your righteousness. And yet if we're honest, we speak a whole lot more about the first part, right? About the washing away of our sins, but very little about the second, the daily renewing of our lives. But a day by day in that renewal, what are we made mindful of? What do we need to teach each other? that God keeps forgiving us again and again and again and again. That even when we hear, well, well, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive somebody? What do we want? We want a number. We want to count, right? Just let me fulfill righteousness in this way and then I can give up doing that. God has never given up, give up on doing that for you. He has never given up on that. He keeps forgiving us again and again and again. It's the wonder of his grace and truth. But if we need to continue to be forgiven, then what does that mean? Then somebody else needs that too. Someone else needs to know. That if we're renewed to him, we're to work reconciliation among each other and among our neighbors in the grace and forgiveness that he has provided us. That admitting we need to be forgiven means what? I must extend forgiveness to. Forgive us. Hear it again. Just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us, wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. But in reading this this week again, I was absolutely wrecked because I am not always determined that way. We are so quick to judge. We are so quick to condemn. And parents, if that is our role before our children, that is a roadblock to your children seeing sweetly your joy and truth and confession and forgiveness. if after all you've received, you still think that you're better than your kids or that your sins are lesser than another's, you still haven't completely embraced what forgiveness is all about. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, that's why the repetition comes here. It's not getting at the back that you're deceived again, but that you're saying that you're living in Christ, but, but here's now what you're speaking. I haven't done that. Can you believe they did that? Can you believe they did that to me? That's unbelievable. That's unforgivable. If you've ever said that, let this verse humble you, convict you, and drive you to confession. Let this verse remind you to never forget what you were before the grace of God was granted you in an abundant forgiveness. As one forgiven, don't forget your need for it. Or the need that others have for you to extend it. Kevin DeYoung writes it very plainly this way: quote, the unforgiving heart is the unforgiven heart, end quote. We must each and every moment make a conscious decision to forgive in the example more the command of Christ. And if you haven't confessed your sins to the Lord in all humility, for it says in Psalm 51: the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then give yourselves once more to Paul's instruction in Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Oh, it's hard. (laughs) But why shouldn't it be hard? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So you must also forgive. And how do we do that? And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Forgiveness is the greatest way we can love each other. I'm fully convinced of it. Forgiveness is the greatest way we can love each other. And it's why extending forgiveness, even to those that you might not think worthy of it, matters so much. Because if you will not forgive others, you make him a liar and his word is not in you. That's because you're living as though Christ is not in you. You're denying the very nature of his work. You're denying the power of his promise. And there is no blessing in that, not ever, It's why Jesus makes the need to forgive so blunt in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Williamson writes it this way. There are no real Christians who are unforgiving. And so by extension then, the extending of forgiveness is a way to examine your heart to see if you are truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a test that Jesus left his disciples with in Luke 7. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Brothers and sisters, we, and I'm a huge part of that we, we must learn to be more and more humbled in the wonder of the great grace and forgiveness of our Lord and Savior. That in knowing the burden of our sins, we must be led more and more to Jesus in the wonder of his love, to look to his mercy, to know more of his grace, to know more of a life that will extend that mercy and lead others to the wonder of the forgiveness that we've confessed this morning that we would drink deeply of the great marvel of forgiveness. In the kindness of Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So brothers and sisters, forgive. I know I've said it a lot. I know I've said a lot. But forgive. It's the wonder of God's grace. Forgive. It's the best way that you will show grace to each other. And to this world around you. Because you will share in the suffering and blessing of Christ. Forgive. Because Christ has forgiven someone like you. And is gathering a people to himself. Not on the basis of their goodness. But according to his electing love and grace. And so I'm thankful for the ways Dr. Keller taught me in his book. A Renewed Wonder and Forgiveness. I'm thankful for all the ways that Nick and Rachel. And that we as a congregation. We'll get to forgive Nolan and to forgive each other. To teach that to him in the wonder of the kindness shown to us in believing the sure promise of Christ. And so may we in our lives show forth the same as we forgive each other and lead each other to the faithfulness and justice of our forgiveness to the glory of God's name. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you have worked for us and applied to us, and blessed us in, in Jesus Christ. And Father, we are thankful to understand more what that water really means, and what we cling to in that promise. That my guilt is taken away, that my sin is atoned for, and that I'm made forever right with you. In the confession of my sin, and in the embrace of all the promises, all the completed work of my Savior, Jesus. And so, Father, for those in this room who are still carrying a great burden, a crushing one, who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, who are deceived and enslaved to various passions and pleasures, Lord, I pray, would you work this word in them, that the seed will hit upon hearts that have been prepared to receive it, that they would cry out to you in repentance and faith and be forgiven all their sins. And Father, for us who stand forgiven at the cross, might we forgive. It is costly, it's hurt, and at times it's full of suffering. And yet we recognize how your Son has suffered for us and of how you have redeemed us to that call to forgive and to show forth that picture of Christ. And so Father, may our children see it, may they hear it, may they know it, may they come by your grace to embrace it, And may they, too, become ambassadors with us of the forgiveness of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that as we give our offerings to you, may it be more important that we give our hearts to you, our lives to you, that we would live in the joy of your forgiveness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.